Good morning. Praise the Lord. What a privilege to be in church. It's a privilege to hear from God. It is indeed exciting to see how God works. And um, Romans 6, 1 and 2, I believe Nick is going to be able to bring it up on the screen. Romans 6, 1 and 2. King James Version is what I'm using on that particular verse. Romans 6, 1 and 2. Many of you already know it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Praise the Lord. Shall we continue in sin? (laughs) By God's grace. I love these uh, great rhetorical questions that the Apostle Paul throws at us. He's uh, delving into some deep territory here, and all of a sudden he pauses and throws out this question, which inherently, like you and like him and like we all should say, no, of course not, you know. But that question um, allows us to more firmly be compelled to follow his logical line of argument in Romans. And in so doing, he points out ever so clearly (laughs) that even we who assume ourselves to be so innocent are indeed trapped by our own guilt and misdeeds. We need more. We need more grace. We need more mercy. We need more of Jesus, don't we? Now, last month, on the 19th of January... I preached from Romans, I got so stirred up about one particular verse, Romans uh, 5.8. Last month I preached from Romans 5.8 and it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) While we were yet sinners. Yes, I want to get a little more serious, not just sinners, but enemies, rebellious. And Paul says, shall we continue in grace? I mean, in sin, shall we, that grace may abound? I endeavored to demonstrate from the Bible that the constant failure of man to live a righteous life began from the beginning. Biblically speaking, if you read the Bible, (laughs) right from 
Genesis 3 forward. It's a catastrophe of failure. Throughout the days of Moses, the law, the prophets. And then I finish with the question, how then should we respond to such a great demonstration of truth and love? Truth and love that God would die for each and every one of us. Then last Thursday night, and and some of you weren't here on Thursday night, um, I took the liberty to review our memory verses because we're endeavoring to memorize a portion of Acts 10 about Paul's journey to the centurion Cornelius. There was a centurion. A centurion is a Roman captain, has a lot of authority over a lot of town, over a lot of men, pretty high office. And it says in Acts 10, let me just jump back here and just mention this. We talked a little bit about uh, Cornelius. It says in Acts 10.2, in Acts 10.2 it says that Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Whoa, that's a pretty big... And I don't know that Nick has this. You can leave that up there for a moment. But in Acts 10, 22, it it repeats and it says that they said Cornelius the centurion was a just man that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. But God had more for Cornelius. God has more for each and every one of us. We focused in on uh, verse 34, 5 on Acts 10 last Thursday night. But in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now, it was Peter that was sent. It was Peter that was sent to Cornelius by revelation. It was by revelation that God told Cornelius to ask for Peter to come. And uh, Peter said... I see that he that feareth God and worketh righteousness. And we began to talk about working righteousness. Thursday night, I exhorted the people. Some of you are here and shaking your heads. I said, I think it's important that we work righteousness. And we pursue it. So I jumped over to 1 Peter Three, and, for, and Peter, in his later years, gives us instruction. In fact, in my Bible, it has subtitles, and it says, A Review of Christian Conduct. And in those verses, we began to review some just practical, down-to-earth instruction on working righteousness, right? And one of those verses, verse 11, says... Let him eschew evil. 
This is 1 Peter 3, 11. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, if you were to go back to... Now, I'm going to come back to Romans. Take it around about course here, kind of like Paul does. So bear with me. But if you were to read those surrounding verses in 1 Peter 3... There's about five verses from uh, 9 to 12 that the word evil is used five times. The word evil. So we have a dilemma on our hands. We have a tremendous dilemma that I want to explore this morning that there is lurking near our hearts, evil. Praise the Lord. Now let's jump back to Romans. Put up Romans 2.1 if you have that one. I'll jump to some other ones. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, Whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou dost judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judges doest the same thing. My Bible says in the English Standard Version, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Paul establishes, if you read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, he establishes, that there is righteousness and it's not on earth. It's only in heaven. It's only in God. There's righteousness and there's unrighteousness. And then he throws out, beginning in chapter 2, you don't have an excuse though. Don't say you didn't know because it's written into your heart. You make judgment calls on other people. We all do it. We make a judgment call on the behavior of all people. Everyone does it. In fact, if you look at some more verses in Romans 2, in Romans 2, 6, he says, He will render to each one according to his works. In verse 9, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil? Chapter 3, verses t- uh, 10 11. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And of course, the classic verse. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I think you caught on real quick that I want to continue my observation about the nature of man and the nature of God and the truth that we must come to terms with from the Bible. I want to continue and I strongly believe that unless we're firmly established in the basic human truth as taught by Jesus, 
then we cannot move forward into the righteous living that God expects of us. Now, there's a lot to be said in the Bible about evil. Old Testament, New Testament, and Jesus himself. Do the research. You know, and I, and like so many people I meet, tend to excuse myself. Oh, I think I'm all right. I think I'm pretty good. Well, compared to so-and-so, I'm pretty good, you know. I just always kind of assumed, oh, we're all pretty good people, you know. You know, we have a good nature about us. Let's see. Let's see what, what, uh, what does Jesus say. For example, these are the words of Jesus Christ. I don't think I have all these to throw up, Nick. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says to the crowds, You then who are evil... Matthew 9, 4, why do you think evil in your hearts? Matthew 12, 34, these are all Jesus' words. Jesus speaks of an evil and adulterous generation. And in several, several other references, he speaks of a, an, an evil generation. Just comes out and says it. Also, in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And yet, Jesus was the one who healed and drove out the evil spirits. Numerous times. He came to deliver and to set us free. Mark describes what it is that defiles a man in Mark 20, 23, and he says, That which cometh out of man defileth a man. For from in, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come within from within, and defile the man. And in Luke, Jesus says to those who ask, these are people who think, we did pretty good. Those who ask why they do not have a place in His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, He says to them, depart from me, all you workers of evil, of iniquity. It's not just Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.10, For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that everyone may receive what is due for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. Colossians, it says, And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... Hebrews says, take care, brother, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And if you really want to, I, I don't mean to be piling on, but I'm reading a lot of scripture. Okay, we believe in this? Yes. 
I'm reading a lot of scripture. If you really want to pile on, read James. <laughs> Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James 2, James 3. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. James piles it on. Money, the tongue. And James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all boasting is evil. Evil. Define anything wrong, sinful, wicked, anything that causes harm to someone. Anything that contradicts or is against God. Bad, immoral, ungodly. I'm reading several major, well-established dictionaries that have been around for hundreds of years, and I read all that, the definition, and nowhere... In the dictionary definition, did it distinguish, distinguish between big and small? It didn't do it. Made no distinction. When we think evil, what do we think? Oh, Hitler, way over there in Germany or Russia. You know, it's not here. It's in a foreign country. Did Jesus not say to us when he taught us to pray, deliver us from evil? We can be, need to be, ask for it, delivered from evil. The problem is, I believe, my problem, when I was in college, when I went to Wayward College, my problem, I think my problem is pretty similar to a lot of problems, especially in a society as smug and well-off and prosperous as America. My problem is, I think I'm pretty good. Everybody's good. We're all just good-natured people. I didn't recognize that rebellion against God is evil. Believing not that God is a smiling good God and he could say to Jen this morning, let's sing this song. And the first song I opened up to in that book was that song. I think that's just like. Okay, let's read the dictionary some more. I read it, and I go, I didn't want to read that. No. This, is, this was in the dictionary now. Evil, it was listing all the different types of evil, and it got down to one, and here was this big word, disagreeable. What? Yeah, little fashion here. Let's just get to it. It says disagreeable. What? And it gave an example in a sentence, the use of it. It says, I woke up late and was in an evil temper. 
Some of us old timer have heard that. An evil temper. You've heard that phrase? Come on, isn't there any old timers? Okay, how about this one? Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? You've heard that? Well, what would initiate such a phrase? The old timers used to call it an evil temper. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it because about every morning it takes me a long time to wake up. I ask my sweet wife. It's hard for me to wake up. It takes some time for me to come around, and she could probably say that about every other morning. And I don't want to quarrel this morning about whether it's an evil temper because you woke up late, or whether the evil temper comes at midday or evening, or what precipitates it. But the point is, <laughs> the dictionary pointed out that some of us just have, at times... An evil temper. And we need to come to terms and be confronted by, I believe, with the fact that there are within this fallen, evil nature that rebelled against God in Adam and Eve, besetting sins that continue to persist us. Besetting, by the way, means tormenting. Let us turn away, the scripture says, turn away from evil and do good. Let me give you another real life down the home, down home, where we live example. This is a response that I've had. (laughs) So I'm talking about me. I mean, this study... I thought was um, so beneficial. It's almost uh, time, a confessional time. This is a response I have, and far many, far too many of us are confronted. When you or I are confronted, all of a sudden, with a problem or an issue that we've created with another person or with God. Maybe it's a word we spoke. Maybe it's the way we spoke the word. Maybe it's the way we rolled our eyes when we spoke the word. And we get called out. Friend or spouse or God himself calls us out. (laughs) What happens? What's our first response? Defensive. Oh, I did not do that. First thing I say, no, I didn't do that. It was a little thing. It was just a little evil temper, word misplaced, word kind of with rolled eyes, condescension. Just a little, you know, okay, may, okay. Phrase number two, maybe I did do it, but I didn't mean it. Well, if I did do it, it really wasn't my fault. It was your fault or the neighbor's fault or somebody else's fault. 
Remember Adam and Eve? <laughs> the, it says the word is subtle. The devil was subtle. <laughs> you know, it, sin and evil has a way of creeping in, does it, subtly. Do you know, I looked up subtle because subtle is like clever. It's indirect. It's cunning. Subtle is this evil. Subtle is a distinction or a change so delicate or so precise that it's difficult to analyze it or describe it. That's subtle. Okay, I did do it, but I was right. <laughs> you know, we like to defend ourselves because what we said or did was right. You know, my, my wife and I have had the privilege to travel to uh, England, and she has got intrigued by some of the English uh, drama television. And they have a series about a man who is one of the top doctors in London. He is the very best doctor, the best surgeon. But, excuse me, all of a sudden, he develops a phobia to blood. <laughs> and he sees blood, he gets sick. So he leaves his practice as a surgeon and goes to a small town on the southern coast of England and becomes a general practitioner. The thing is, he is absolutely the best doctor ever. The problem is, no one can stand him. Because he will, he's so direct his bedside manner is so, but he's always right, and he lets you know he's always right. Oh, what's that cough you have? I know what that is. He'll walk up to people in the streets and tell them what's wrong with them because he thinks he has to take care of everybody. But he'll just rudely walk up to them and start analyzing. Well, what's that your problem, you know? Oh, we, when we're right, we take great liberty, don't we? Great liberty on how we present ourselves to a situation that someone else just feels, well, you may have been right, but man, I don't. And why is it that our spouses always see right through us? They know all these excuses, and they know our body language. They get it right off, boom. You know, anytime you have a particular problem, if you have a good friend or a spouse that's been around you, they just kind of, don't try that one on me again. You know. Okay, how many responses did we have so far when we've been confronted with a problem that we've created, a situation that we don't interact properly with God, don't respond properly? Let's see, I think we had four or five. Well, how about this one? Oh, I was tired. <laughs> I could not help myself. 
It's just the way I am. And you need to learn to put up with it. It's just the way I am. In fact, we get really smug. God created me this way. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's evil lurking in our hearts. How about I had a bad day? And I did have this <laughs> this week. And now I have a headache. <laughs> Now, because of this situation, I have a headache, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Fill in the blank. I think uh, those last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, I think there was about eight or nine excuses there that I've attempted to use, and they've all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the last one, but I'm as good as, you know, we want to throw the comparison blame. Can we not learn that the mind and the heart are deceitful and there's sin that's separating us from man and from God? I was reading a little book. It's called Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God, Francis French Payne. Have you ever had a close friend, but you were not in his presence at one time, and you just talked about that friend critically? The next time you were in the friend's presence, did you notice something a little artificial about your relationship? You were not as open or honest with him. Because of your sin, there was a small but measurable distance between both of you. This is a man who was a tremendous man of God writing to help us with the evil that comes out. You may have shared the world together beforehand, but now you're not as comfortable with each other. Unless there is repentance, the distance between you will probably widen. In the same manner that human relationships are sustained by openness and honesty and repentance, which you already mentioned, so it is also with our relationship with God. When we sin against Him, small or large, we unconsciously erect a barrier between heaven and ourselves. We may still go to church, but the sense of distance and artificiality emerges in our hearts. Each of these defenses we've erected to keep God out ultimately walls us in. Eventually, these walls toward God imprison us outside of the divine presence, trapping the soul in outer darkness. It is possible that these walls toward God are the very substance of which hell is made. Every time we fall short by wanting our own way, 
by self-gratification, by speaking harshly, by speaking out of turn. Every time it's as if we've laid a little block of a wall around us. And I'm afraid sometimes we've ignored some of those blocks of walls that have begun to be built around us. And the longer we don't repent and humble ourselves, that wall gets bigger. And this man of God says, they get harder to cross, don't they? Let's not build any walls. Let's deal with any sin or any evil tendency that we may have. Praise God. In Romans 6, 8, following this, the first verse was the verse that said, Shall we continue in sin? The apostle Paul says, So you must consider yourselves to dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your bodies or your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from brought from life to death, death to life, and your members to God as instruments for His righteousness. You know what I... Um, I sincerely believe that I'm looking at a wonderful group of people. I know that. God has saved us. And many of us, God has done works of sanctification. But God wants more. He does. He wants more. He wants everything. He doesn't want us to allow anything to fester and not be dealt with. He wants to deal with everything. So I'm going to do something unusual here this morning. I'm going to ask Cam and maybe someone else. I'm going to pass out a note card. Got to open it up here. Open it up. Just everybody take a note card. And, and Nate or some of you guys, there's a bunch of pens back here. If anybody needs a pen, Debbie just come and we'll play some music here. Take a note card, and here's what I want you to do on your note card today. I want you to write down one thing. Just pick one thing. You're going to know instantly what it is if you haven't already known. Some besetting sin, some weakness, some persistent failure that you've had in your life. An area in your life that needs help. Or... You may say, well, Jerry, I don't know, God didn't, God didn't tell me anything. Well, then put down a goal for improvement. You're still on earth, and we're being changed from glory to glory. We haven't arrived yet. There is room for improvement. So just write down a goal for improvement in your Christian walk, 
Ask God for a renewed call, a reminder of the first love. Let us make this a monument, a step up in our spiritual life. Now, more precisely, God's going to probably speak to you about the one thing. There's usually, the devil is a, if you're getting confusion, it's the devil. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, will usually quietly and softly remind you of one area that you can improve in. And if you attack the one area that God points out, it'll help you in all areas. And if you're really serious now, but what I want you to do is just write it down. I'm not going to collect them. You're going to put it in your Bible. You're going to put it in your wallet. You're going to put it in your billfold. It's between you and God. But if you're really serious about accountability, after service, sometime this week, you might just hand it to an accountability partner and say, pray with me over this one situation. So right now, for about two minutes... Somebody might time me, so give me some leeway here. Just write down one thing that you want God to help you with. One thing that you want to get over. You say, God, I want to get beyond this. I want to be a godly, righteous man. Just write it down. Say, God, I want to be a righteous man. And then name an area that God can help you in. If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. Everybody have pens? This you to step up. Thank you. God will help you. If you indeed believe and have faith, God knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. Uh, 
I'm going to finish with this scripture, coming back to Romans 5, 6 through 11. Are you able to bring that up? Romans 5, 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. He laid his life down for us. He died for us. For scarcely for, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. We've heard stories of some, but Christ died for all. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. No, we shall not continue in sin.